G'day everyone. The uh, Bible reading today, if you've got one of these blue Bibles, is on page 1219. And like Jeff said, we'll be reading James chapter 5 verses 13 to 20. From verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the faith, from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Good to see you. Welcome. And uh, if I didn't meet you at the door, uh, it's great to be with you today. And I trust we have a, uh, an encouraging time together. And if you just notice that passage, it's actually a little bit tricky. So we're going to have a crack at trying to understand it. Because I think if we do crack it, it's really helpful for all of us here, uh, wherever we're at with God, whether we're a follower of Jesus for many years, we've just become a Christian, or we're not even sure whether we think God's really someone who cares for us. I think this passage actually does uh, speak into that today. Uh, let me pray and then we'll have a, uh, some time in James uh, chapter 5 together. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for your word. We thank you that we can gather together in this very windy day uh, and we do pray uh, this morning now you'll help us understand your word as we've had it uh, read to us. We ask now that you help us to consider it and to live by it. Amen. If it's helpful, go to the page with the outline the last week in James, uh, just to give you a couple points of where we're heading in the service. Uh, And if you have any questions that pop up, feel free to write them on those cards uh, as we go through. Let me ask you, in this last week that's happened, what was your needs? What was your greatest need that happened this last week? Did you need to uh, go to a meeting that you were dreading, that you needed a good win at? Did you need to go to school? Did you need to sit an exam? What did you need to do? Did it happen? For me, one thing that I need to do every week that I'm up here is I need to write the talk before I get up here, otherwise it's really awkward and I don't have much to say. I need to do that beforehand. What was your needs this last week? Then we have bigger needs. You may think about what what are your bigger needs at the moment? Are there health issues that we desperately need to be resolved? We're actually feeling that a lot at the moment at Grove, aren't we? With really big, hard things. And then lots of us aren't here today because they're sick and most of our kids weren't here. Other needs of getting into a uni course, getting a job, 
dealing with stuff going on in the family. We have all these needs, dealing, having to pay the bills. That's probably a need we need to do unless we want to get kicked out of our house. We have these things that all of us right now could come up with what we need, wherever we're at in life, whether we're a teenager, whether we're 80. I think today, in this passage, it's all about finding our greatest need. What is our greatest need? I think that's where this passage takes us. But the, the thing about James chapter 5 is, it's kind of a challenging passage. It's, it's up there in probably the top five hardest passages in the Bible to understand, uh, in the New Testament certainly, uh, because it's kind of confusing on the surface, as we'll probably see uh, in a moment. And so, wherever you're at with God, as I mentioned, today is a chance for you, for us all, to hear what God thinks your need is and how He has it covered. So what happens in this uh, passage, James gets us started by looking at the two kind of poles or the two extremes of the human experience of life, the two, the two ends of the spectrum, if you like, in this passage. He wants us to see these uh, two uh, extremes and consider how we respond if you're a follower of Jesus. So let's have a look at it. Uh, if you've got a Bible open there, you can feel free to get up now and, and grab one if you still wanted to. Uh, I'm going to um, lead us through a bit of this passage uh, as we go through uh, for the rest of the morning. See, as Jack read for us just a moment ago, starts off with, in verse 13, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. See, what we have here is kind of every kind of experience of life kind of fits in between those two moments. Kind of trouble when things aren't working out, the problems that are happening in life at one end. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got when that's not the case and life's kind of good and happy and working out well. And that's kind of the spectrum that we have of life, but it's not just kind of linear, you're over here or you're over here, is it? There's everywhere in between and sometimes you're both at the same time and some parts are good and bad. There's the extremes. And so when we're dealing with these things, James gets back to prayer. He's mentioned prayer throughout this uh, letter before. Because this book of James, if you've been coming... Uh, over, over the weeks or last year when we did the first part of this, this uh, uh, little letter, is all about not just sitting there. James does not want followers of Jesus to think, I oh, just think God's real. Come on a Sunday, sit in a chair, and then you've done your bit, now just get on with your life. If you love Jesus, you love to live it out. And that's what we've been looking at all different ways. And so then when we think of the extremes and the poles of life and everything in between, we think about how we respond. And so, if you're in trouble, you pray. And when things are going well, when you're happy, the response is, well, thank you, God. You praise Him. You acknowledge when times are good. As I mentioned, our... our small church community that's been going just on 18 months has had a significant amount of hardship in the last, this year, 
just on the issue of health with so many people being significantly ill and family as well it's been quite a, a lot we know that sense of trouble and we also know the sense of joy if you're happy you praise god when there's things that are good you're content in them you acknowledge them before god in all the heartache of the cancer that we've been praying for and struggling with, with all the, the sickness that's just been happening, part of it just being this time of year in Adelaide and part of it beyond that. And We've had some great times together as a community and fellowship and they've gone well. Life has been going well as a church family and we should acknowledge that to God. James has picked out how we respond in all of the situation that's happening. If you're in the middle, you've got a bit of sickness and you've got a bit of happiness, then there's times to bring them before God, but also being thankful and acknowledged to Him how He has provided. It's a real challenge to us to see that the way we live is to turn to God. It's In all of life's circumstances, we respond by turning appropriately to God. Because you could change it if you wanted to, and if you don't really like God, you could say, is anyone in trouble? Blame God. Is anyone happy? Give yourself a pat on the back for making yourself happy and achieving all your goals. You could choose that option. But the appropriate response of someone who acknowledges that God is the Lord of all, that Jesus is the King is to turn to him, to pray to him and to praise him. So what happens in this passage, I I take it, is that we get to verse 14 and James is kind of giving us an example or pointing out the clearest and most obvious example of uh, trouble and hardship, sickness, actual sickness. Have a look with me in verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. He's saying, what we need to do is we need to continue to turn to God in physical distress. See, the reality is we like to be happy. Yes? Is that Anyone want to disagree on that one? We like to be happy? Have you heard the phrase... As long as you're happy, has it ever been said to you? Have you you ever said that? I hear it a lot. No matter what's going on, as long as you can be happy. And so life does centre around seeking happiness. And in one sense, that's not completely wrong. We search for it in all sorts of ways, in whatever we like and enjoy. It can be in, in achievements, it can be in leisure, it can be in relationships, in all sorts of ways. But the reality is... Trouble keeps on getting in the road. And while we're desperate for happiness, discontentment is not an uncommon human experience, is it? Probably most people don't get to have more happiness on the spectrum than trouble. Maybe some do, but there's still those times of trouble even for those people. And so 
James brings up sickness, and this is where things start to get a little bit interesting in this passage. First of all, he says, if you're sick, call the elders of the church to pray over them. What he's saying, he's saying is that what I've just said, the priority is prayer. And so your leaders, those are the mature people in your church who should have a priority of wanting to be praying, should be praying for you. It should happen. That is an important responsibility. And not because they're special. You notice there it doesn't say that you get someone with healing, a gift of healing or something like that. It's just saying mature elder, mature leader in, the, in that community, they should lead by the way that all of God's people should function, by praying. It kind of makes, makes sense. And then we have this little line, anoint them with oil. Now, in this passage, that's just kind of a, a subordinate point. It's not the priority of it all. And there's lots of debate. Well, do we do that? What's that mean? What's the point of that? And really, it can be two things. Oil could be used like we kind of use band-aids. That's kind of an option. It could be used as a medicinal purpose, relieving pain kind of thing. Um, I don't know if whenever you were a kid or if you've got kids, whenever you get a cut, no matter what type of cut it is, a band-aid's going to fix it. It's just, give me a band-aid, give me a band-aid. My kids, particularly one of them, love that band-aid option. It's like the cure of all cures, which it isn't. It just stops it from ripping more. Oil is kind of could be seen as some kind of helpful medicinal purpose. It was kind of used in that way. Or the second option is, it's just more symbolic act, uh, where you're pointing towards God is the one who can anoint healing he's the one who can ordain healing or not i think it kind of could be either and in my mind i'm not particularly worried in whichever one and i'm not sure um in what i read you can particularly choose with any overwhelming confidence which one but the point is in all of this that we see uh that we see in this passage prayer is of ultimate importance we even see in this passage a little bit further on that when you, when, you, uh, when you pray, when someone's sick, you do it in the name of the Lord. You don't just pray to whoever you want, you pray to God. You pray to the Lord Jesus. Jesus doesn't get put out of the equation. It's an interesting little, little passage because what happens in verse 15 leaves us with some very challenging questions. Let's have a look at them. In verse 15, it reads in the Bibles we've got in front of us, if you've got one of our church Bibles, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Now, first of all, just as a side point, this isn't some kind of special kind of prayer. This is someone asking God that there will be, um, there'll be uh, salvation, there'll be healing. It's not someone who's got a special ability to pray or anything like that. But what's really strange about this passage is it says, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. That's a promise. You pray, you pray because you trust in God, and then there's definitely going to be health. I have a big problem. Do you get the big problem? 
That doesn't always happen. We have prayed as a church for Steph a lot. In God's grace, as Peter mentioned to us, she is, this is, um, uh, uh, someone in our in our church family who's been a missionary is back now and is sick, dying of cancer. We have prayed for her a lot. God has been gracious and given her many more months, but we know that is not going to be for much longer. But this says we've prayed. We have done it in faith. Our prayers have not been um, wicked prayers that she'll be well. And then it says the Lord will raise them up. Is that raise them up in the, in like when everything in the last days and heaven comes and everyone's raised up? Or is that raised up as in being right now? We have a problem. And sometimes in a passage like this, we can get it really wrong. We could say, well, you just didn't pray hard enough. You didn't have enough faith. The content of your prayer wasn't that good enough, which I have heard said before. But that's tragically harmful and untrue. And I would never allow that to be accepted because I've seen many of my brothers and sisters here pray genuinely and lovingly in the name of the Lord for all sorts of different things and they don't happen. That can't be the case. Maybe God isn't trustworthy. Maybe he can't keep his promises. Because that's what it says, and I'm I'm confused. But one of the things that in this version that we use the NIV that they've done is they've changed they've just made the assumption, which is what you can do with the word make the sick person well, that it's a word that is actually save. And it can mean save as in heal. Or it can mean save as in eternal life. And I don't think actually we need to make it specifically about physical healing. I think it's supposed to be ambiguous. It's supposed to kind of be both. It's kind of be which one is it? If you've got verse 15 in front of you, I think it's just as right to to have it read as, and the prayer of faith will save the sick person. And the Lord will raise him, and if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. It's ambiguous on purpose. That's the way I think it's been written. And so we've still got to figure out, well, what's going on? Why is it ambiguous? Why, why did James get all confusing at the end of this super helpful and practical letter that was so just clear to us? Well, I think it's because how I introduced... Uh, our start today I think because what he's wanting us to do by doing the work in this passage we see our biggest need that biggest need is highlighted I think at the end of verse 15 and 16 and then given proof of in um, the example of Elijah from the Old Testament so he says in the end of verse 15 if he has sinned he will be forgiven that is to say If you've turned away from God and rejected him, God can forgive you. Now, some people will say, well, your, your sin, that's why you're sick, because you've sinned directly, and that must be the case of this passage. But that's not always the case at all. It's, it's mostly not the case. It's just the result of the world that we're in and the problems of the world that sickness is real. 
So if the bigger need is our sins being forgiven, how can we be certain of that? Well, when we get to verse 16, if you, therefore, so in light of this, if you confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed, the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, that's not, application of that is not to say, okay, everyone, now what we're going to do, we're going to take it in turns to say all our deepest and darkest secrets. I don't think that's what the passage is saying at all. I think it's what it's saying is, is that God's people acknowledge that we get it so wrong. We're so not perfect. And there are times when it's helpful to talk about certain sin with people to help us deal with them. But it's as God's people to acknowledge our sin and to pray for each other. That's why sometimes we actually have a prayer come on the screen that we say together. It's not just because we like rituals. It's because it's expressing that together we know we get it wrong and all we have is God's forgiveness through Jesus. In light of this, bigger need. And we see, he says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, if it's powerful and effective, it's pretty powerful and effective if someone's healed from sickness, which is great. But if there's a greater need, and by just praying, and that that happens, that's bigger and more powerful. We experienced that a couple months ago. It went... When uh, Beck was baptised and, and uh, we, we uh, celebrated in her sharing her testimony of how she became a Christian and how wonderful that was and part of her story was people prayed for her that she'd think about who God was and she did and she come to realise that Jesus was Lord. That's a powerful and effective prayer, isn't it? God may well save in the sense of physical healing. It happens. We should pray for it. We keep praying for it. But he will certainly, certainly save in the bigger, greatest need sense of forgiving us our sin. I think that's where this passage is going and I think it's where it's going because of um, the example that he gives us. And we'll get to that example in a moment, but on your outline now, I just wanted to make this side point um, uh, understanding the peculiar nature of the passage and its context. This passage has taken me quite a while to unpack and to figure out because it's a bit challenging um, this time. And some of the things that were, were helpful for me to wrestle with that I thought I'd just share with you as a side point is that it's really good to understand a passage and its context and what's going on. Sometimes it's quite easy and you can understand what the passage is saying. And I mean, if you can just go to the uh, verse on the screen earlier from James, which is what we talked a bit about with the kids, he says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same, same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Really obvious. It's not hard to understand the context there. He's saying, you know, Brothers and sisters, you come, you come to church, you sing praises to God, you talk to each other and you praise them. The next day you go to work and you slander and take down someone. Mm, that's not right. That's not how God's people should be. That's obvious. It's pretty clear. And you, you, you work at it, but it's, it's pretty clear there. Jesus was really clear sometimes as well. He said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Jesus' claim, we've got to wrestle whether we think it's true or not, but he says, unambiguously, there's one way 
to God. There's one way to eternal life and I'll give it to anyone who wants it, but it's only through me. That's unambiguous. That's clear. But sometimes passages are more challenging like the one in front of us where we can get to it, but we need to understand where it's coming from and what it means. We don't want to make great errors. We don't want to think that the way that we can have these things happen is by having better faith, as if it's the content of how we think about God and not what God's done for us. And so, I think that's why James has thrown in verse 17 for us. Have a look at verse 17. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now, on the surface, even there, it looks like, no, no, he's just prayed for something physical and it's happened. So that's what this passage must be about because there's this physical example and Elijah's prayed for it and it's happened. Now, in the book of the Bible, I wonder, has anyone ever read all of one Kings or two Kings? A few of us. It's not one that we, many of us do know that well. It kind of um, outlines all the things that happened with God's people in Israel, with the kings and how they worked and all the just disasters they got into and part of the problem of Israel was their continual rejection of God despite him constantly giving them opportunities to turn back to him and in chapters 17 and 18 of 1 Kings we see this played out of what Elijah said so we're not going to read it now and go through it into detail but there was a drought and there was rain Elijah just prayed and that happened But how can I say this is about a greater, bigger need? Well, because a little bit earlier in 1 Kings, we find out something, thanks Naomi, uh, that um, King Solomon said, which highlights what a drought and what rain kind of symbolises. So we don't need to worry about the context here because it doesn't really change anything. Solomon's uh, talking about drought and and let me uh, read it for you. I'll read it um, from mine. In 8.35, he says, When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain, because your people have sinned against you, and when they pray towards this place and give praise to your name and turn from their sin, because you have afflicted them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live and send rain on the land you gave your people for an inheritance. Drought... Throughout the Old Testament, often, as we see here, drought was one of the high points for showing that God has been rejected and the consequence of Israel was judgment through drought. And God's grace and forgiveness were often seen in the way that he brought the rains. And so Solomon prays, there's a drought, the people are turned away from you, but Lord, forgive them. Bring the rain, forgive their sin, and so bring the rain. Drought and rain show judgment and forgiveness. When Elijah was praying, he wasn't praying so much for the people's drought and for the rain. He was praying that the people would be rightly treated by God, that they would see their rejection of him, drought, and they would be forgiven by God, as they turn to him, rain. 
the barrenness and the plentifulness in a physical way to highlight the greater need. That's one example of how drought and rain is used throughout the Old Testament. And James has thrown it in here after giving us an ambiguous little passage which is saying the sick person will be saved to point to the fact that our greatest need is not physical. Our greatest need is not for you and I to be healed as wonderful and as desperate as we love that to be. Our greatest need is that God sees us and he forgives us. That requires us to realise that we have ignored him, either by just not thinking about him, by hating him, by the way we've lived and then coming to him and acknowledging our need for him. So this tricky passage, which takes a bit of mind-bending work, I think is really locking in for us what's most important in our life. The need for a right relationship with God. And it makes sense of the way he finishes the letter because I couldn't figure out why he finished in verses 19 and 20 the way he did until we see it this way. My brothers and sisters, he says in verse 19, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Does anyone like restoring cars yeah a few of you i know a few of you do even if your hands are going you like restoring cars you like taking an old car and bringing it back to life a car that's rusted out there's lots of tv shows that have been throughout the years on turning something that's a rust bucket into something that's awesome and full of life again that everyone wants to drive this is restoration Turning something that has just got no life and bringing it back to being this beautiful car that is purring, that is flying down the road, that everyone wants to drive. James is saying here that the biggest need is not that someone who is sick is healed, there's someone who has rejected God loves him again. And acknowledges how tragic that is. That is why, Grove, we started. Because we truly believe that Jesus loves us. That he died for us to give us life. That Christ's love actually does compel us to want others to share in that. It does actually mean that I, I think I can say carefully with heartfelt concern and empathy that if it was actually a choice between someone being in a car accident after today and having permanent brain damage but still loving Jesus or someone turning away from Jesus and not having the car accident 
I would prefer the car accident. I can only say that if the greater need is truly that, that it's eternal and that Jesus did come to die for us and to forgive us our sins. And I think that's where we're being challenged today. That a life wholly devoted to Jesus will never forget that. And so as we finish, as we, as we finish, I want us just to spend some time reflecting on this whole, how do we live for Jesus in light of that? Do you see in that passage that prayer and praise are just part of who you are if you follow Jesus? That prayer is a response to life bringing it to God. Think about the people in your life. Do you talk to them or not? You do. You have a relationship with them. A relationship with God is not just something that's a head knowledge thing. It's an actual, genuine relationship where He wants to hear from you. And I I think James as we've encountered prayer at other times as well, and as we're seeing here today, it's reminding me that I need to actually push myself into further intimacy with my prayers with God. That is, not just go through the motions, which we do, of, I've got these things I want to pray about, and I'll make sure I do it, and I get into the habit and duty of it, which is good to do. But God wants us to genuinely pour out our hearts to Him. Because if we're told to pray for our troubles, we don't do that in a stale, stagnant kind of mathematical environment, do we? You don't talk to your friends and family about the things that are heavy on your heart in just a kind of formulaic, uh, this is how it is way. You share with intimacy. God is wanting you to bring these things, bring life before Him. And I want to encourage you to see that. I want you to hear as we've heard the greatest need and we'll finish on that, that God actually deals with everything. He is in control of all things. That our physical needs, when you're sick, you pray. When there's other hard things happening, you pray when things are kind of just what's happening this day and it's not super crucial, it's not like the world-changing moment in your life, you pray, bring it to God. I wonder if you're being honest with yourself, are you a prayer? If anything this year's taught me is that I need to pray more and it's a real challenge and rebuke for me as your pastor to to continue to do that i want you to hear from me as you read that the elders come together to pray for people who are sick i have been praying for what's been happening at grove and i've been wanting to continue to do that more and more and so i do want to tell you that that's my commitment to you 
if you're wondering. And this passage has pushed me to actually get on and be more fervent in my prayers. I wonder whether it should do that for you likewise. Do you struggle to pray? Because the reality is, it's hard to. Some wise advice that someone uh, I heard um, this week was, the reality is we'd all like to be um, someone who prays every day, talks to God just about what's happening in life and we do it you know, for a good period of time, open up the Bible, read it for ourselves and do that. But the reality is, probably for some of us here, we're not even anywhere near that yet. And then the idea of doing that, you kind of get stuck because you can't get there. Well, why don't you build to being more and more of a fervent prayer by actually making specific time? Like if you never really sit down and just pray and you're kind of praying on the run, why not two times a week at least? So in 20 minutes, just you talking to God. No one in this room, even if you have an 80-hour-a-week job, can't find 20 minutes to talk to God. Maybe it's not the amount of time you pray, it's just that you go through the, the motions. I wonder whether actually realising that praise is really important as well. When there's good times, when there's great times, where do you go? Is it your natural inclination to go, God, you are awesome, thank you. How does your heart move when things are good? Stir your heart to thankfulness, to praising Him and acknowledging Him. It can only do us well, I reckon. I also want to say that um, we've actually had three weeks already on prayer if, um, th- uh, this year. We had some early in the year and then part of our discipleship series. If you're still wrestling with prayer, go back and, and, and listen to those sermons online. And one of them was about dependence in prayer. That is, don't forget that the Christian life is about trusting Jesus. Prayer is the perfect expression of that because what you're doing is you're saying, I can't deal with these things, God, you can. And so prayer is the way we continually feed what we believe to be the case. Can I encourage you to continue to turn to God as we deal with our greatest need? And that's where I want us to end today. It has been an unusually more intense Uh, passage I think uh, for us but maybe that locks it in for us a bit more to spend time thinking hard to actually go I will not forget what my biggest need is anymore because I've done the hard work in James 5 but before you need to ask yourself the question do you think that's the case Because while the passage may be saying that, if you don't think that you've got a problem with God, well then all of this is kind of cut out. It doesn't matter. And I want to encourage you to never forget that or if you're not sure, take the opportunity to wrestle with, 
is that the case? Do I need forgiveness from God? Do I actually, this sin thing that I don't really ever think about, is that a thing? Does God see that I have ignored him and he wants me to be in relationship with him, but I've never given him any time? Do I need to deal with that? Does he really forgive? These are questions that if we have them, we should never just leave hanging in the air, I reckon. The best thing to do is to investigate, continue to investigate them. I want to encourage you to uh, keep talking to your friends. Keep coming along to Sundays if you, if you like hanging out with us. Um, that's good. Keep coming. Um, it's great to have you all here today. Um, we, on the communication cards, you'll see there it says about um, our life course. Uh, if people want to do, start one on Tuesday, I'll run one on Tuesday this week. Um, from the cards that are on the back table. It's like half a dozen people just just uh, thinking about what life's about, what Jesus actually said. It's a really easy, non-confronting way to consider. Is Jesus real or not? If you've got friends who you think might like to come, come with them. But what we're seeing today is actually, Naomi, can you go back to that verse that Jesus said, the John 14, 6? Thank you. The reason we can have confidence in our deepest need to have sins forgiven is because Jesus made the promise that he is the way, the truth and the life. But that promise comes with the rest of John's Gospel that that's written in, where Jesus goes to a cross And when he's on that cross, he had done nothing wrong. And while he'd done nothing wrong, he took all of our sins. So when James says, um, a multitude of sins are covered, is at the cross where Jesus deals with them. Because he's taking what we deserve. So he says... I am the way because I am going to the place where you should go, but I'm going to take it for you. And so that's why we can have confidence. James's book is all about not sitting on a chair. It's about getting up and living the Christian life because Jesus did go to the cross. Can I encourage you today to remember your deepest need? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, your word uh, is a great joy to us and sometimes it's uh, really intense and confronting. And challenging to understand. And yet there's great joy in seeing what you have done for us. We thank you. That you are Lord over all things. That you deal with all of life. Father, we bring before you... Uh, but quite a few people that aren't here today because they're unwell. 
a bunch of uh, people and kids that are just sick and unwell. And you are so big and uh, powerful and sovereign that we can bring all those prayers before you as well, the, that people will cover from the flu, from the colds that they have. But Lord, you also know the burden of many of our hearts, what's going on in our lives that um, many of us know, and maybe there's big things that are going on for us that are uh, that only uh, individuals know or that those close to us know about. We do bring before you those that are really unwell. Uh, we do particularly pray for uh, Don uh, and, and, and his uh, blood cancer. We pray for uh, Steph and in, in that you will continue to sustain her, that you will be the God of comfort for her as they manage the, the new chemo and for the whole um, family. We thank you for the great godly witness that they have been and, for, and Peter and Meredith have so wonderfully served us in the most horrible times for them. We do pray for those of us that are sick as this passage has spurred us onto. And we can also lift our eyes and praise you for the many great things that we have been blessed with. We thank you for our church community. We thank you for the joy that we have meeting together, the great times that we have. Um, the other few weeks ago, Christmas in July, and what a great event that was and great time and fellowship that was had. We thank you that we can share life together. We thank you that people still want to keep coming and more people want to uh, uh, hang out with us, have fellowship together and consider you. We don't take for granted, Lord, that we can meet freely. And so we praise you for that as well. But most of all, Lord, as we finish now, we thank you that the book of James, at its end, points us to the desperate need of restoration. That our greatest need is not our trouble that's happening to us in this life. Our greatest need is the trouble that we have eternally without your Son. Help us to turn to him. In Jesus' name, amen.